You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. I'm your host. Today, we're going to be joined by Kai, Kai Lovell, and she will be joining us for her. Uh, we did review the film tape and uh, with by Deborah Campmere. And we're going to, uh, you guys can check that out on the website. I interviewed Deborah last week, and um, today Kai will be calling in so we can talk about two different Charlize Theron movies. One is Monster. What a film. I watched, rewatched this the other night after Kai told me some of her thoughts. And Kai and I had been talking about Bombshell, which Kai had not seen. So this is going to be fresh. Totally jazzed about this. So we're going to be talking about, first of all, probably Bombshell. And as I watched Bombshell, Kai brought up a great point of doing Monster. Because Monster has some other similar subtext, overtones, themes, whatever you want to call them. And yeah, yeah, these are both. They're great movies. They might hit you in the gut. They might be tough to watch. I mean, they are, but it's stuff that you got to see. It's just important. Kai calling in. So how's how's everything going? Thanks for joining us today. Uh, good. No problem. It's funny. There was no roosters at all until I called. I was like, what in the world? You got you to gotta love it. They know. Yeah, I picked up my phone and they started making big noise. So I was like, wow. I couldn't have planned that. You got the audience. They know. They know who's in the house. <laughs> so you're you're re- you're ready. You're plugged in. So why not? We'll we'll jump into it. Let, why don't you start out with your thoughts on Bombshell? Okay. So here's the thing with Bombshell. I had been following the news while it was actually happening, and so I didn't have a perspective on Bombshell that was um, uninterrupted by what my original opinion was. You know, I kind of like had an idea of exactly what was going to transpire in this film preconceived notions. And I was really interested in how they were going to tell the story of this story, because I always think it's ironic. I don't know if you agree with this, Paul, but when you watch films about um, newsrooms or something of that nature, like the whole point of their business is to tell these salacious stories. And so when the people who are telling these stories now become the story or the person who's in charge of the people who are telling these stories becomes the story, it's such a crazy coup d'etat and such a switch, you know? So um, I just think it was stories that needed to be told in the sense that if you look at it for face value, these women work for Fox News, which, I mean, I'm not going to share my personal opinion on Fox News. I'll just say that I don't watch it. And um, one of the reasons why I choose not to watch it, sometimes when you are watching it, you're getting a perspective of the world told from the male gaze, if you will. And um, when I was watching, you know, Megyn Kelly and Gretchen, the former Miss America, she's referred to. And then, of course, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Kayla, who's just full of her religious beliefs and her um, 
football fandom of Fox News, how this is the biggest life dream she's ever had, and it's shared, like, consensually with her family. There's so many pieces of that that are the per- perfect recipe for disaster at the hands of somebody who knows what to look for and taking advantage of it. So I just thought it was really well told. And um, the acting was amazing in the sense that I didn't even recognize Charlize Theron. I, I literally didn't know where she was in that film because she looked so much like Megan Kelly to me. And um, Nicole Kidman is so amazing and so versatile as a as a modern actress. She's a modern artist. I just I can't um, sing her praises enough because she was another one I didn't recognize her. Like I feel like I always look at Nicole Kidman like Satine from Moulin Rouge, and for her to play Gretchen was so huge. Um, how they set up telling the story about uh, Mr. Ailes by how he was so like isolated and sort of like in this pillow of females that protected him. His attorney is a female who owes her life to him. His legal team in HR, his secretary is absolutely, she's in, she, she's basically his partner in crime. I mean, she's absolutely guilty by association with what she knows is going on in there. And um, I like how the story was told with more pregnant pauses or, um, you know, a lot of these, these looks because since the story is about people who report, they could have just really like rested on the laurels of using dialogue, 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 a strong, strong amount of dialogue the whole time. But I like that they did a lot of just like these glances, these looks, these ways that these women were, were taking in information as it was happening on a blow by blow. And I feel like that was the important part to tell about the story. We all get to hear about it, however it was that it was delivered to us, whether it's newspaper, online, if you're just sort of surfing and you see something about it, you may click on it for a few minutes and then and keep going with your day. But I like that they told it in the way that you could feel the information hitting the women that were really the targets of this and that they were just hiding in in plain sight in the sense that this is going to happen again and again. And it was such an important story for um, Gretchen and the rest of the ladies to tell. Like, I just think it's amazing. That's my thought. It's interesting that you, that's interesting that you followed it because I admittingly different didn't. It just sounds like your typical, I just figured it was going to be your usual, you know, (laughs) white guys, uh, is sexually wrong to women and the white guy with that kind of power is going to get away with it and pay a fee that, you know, is like paying a parking ticket and the women are left in shambles of their career is. So I hate to be so male blase about it, but I kind of just, when I started hearing about it, I just kind of thought, well, what else is there going to be? Like, are they really going to take away corporate power? Are they, is one of these guys really going to see jail time? Is Fox news going to be, asked to start being different, but I love that point you made about we were seeing what was going on behind the scenes of a news company that you're not saying it, but I'm saying it is just, you know, Fox News is full of shit. So to see the story (laughs) of what was going on behind them, you know, uh, is very like, I don't want to say interesting, like, oh, I'm watching a National Geographic show but the actresses were so great and like you said it, they did win an Oscar actually for makeup so that was part of the reason why you, who Charlize was or, and um, you know as you were talking about the actresses I was just thinking about how all these actresses 
have come in being known as like the bombshell. So I found it very interesting when I was kind of like rethinking the movie. I was like, Nicole Kidman was the bombshell in Days of Thunder, right? And Charlize, (laughs) I forget because she's just so well-known for monster and serious roles, but like Margot Robbie and Wolf Wolf of Wall Street is like, yes, everybody respects her acting job with Leo and to be in a Scorsese movie, but it was still just like, you know, and she's said many times she hates being called a bombshell. She hates interviews talking about her looks. Um, It's hard and, I don't know. and that's I wanna, hard I to not talk about her looks. She's so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, like I'm saying, it's hard to. I, I okay, so you're talking about the male gaze. I sound completely. I'm willing to admit how off I am because I've been hearing so many filmmakers and women talk about it, and each one of them has a different perspective about what it is. So I would love to hear what what is your perspective? Has you're saying that in bombshell. Well, I mean, here's the thing, like, and I thank you for saying that because they all started out their careers as a bombshell. Like, I don't even remember if the first time I laid eyes on Shalise Theron was in Two Days in the Valley or something like that. And if you, I I don't even know if I'm right about that, but I just remember her being so like, she was like a, a dangerous, like wild cat. I was like, whoa, who is this? This is a lot, you know, like, and, um, that they start their careers like that. And then over time are telling these stories from my perspective of male gaze. It's just, and, and as I say it, I I almost feel a little bit guilty because some of my favorite films, some of my favorite stories are told from the male gaze. Like I love Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. That story is told from the male gaze, you know, like, um, and then we look at things like, let's see, back to the future, all the way over to what we've been discussing, um, lover boy, you know, that movie Loverboy with extra anchovies and, and Senor uh, Pizza or whatever that was called. I mean, it's definitely right. from the male gaze. <laughs> Is that what it was? Senor Pizza? Right. Um, I thought it could be wrong with that. But, um, oh, yeah, of course. Day, oh, that was definitely the male gaze. <laughs> yeah, it's like telling that fantasy story of, and it's done by some writer, producer, or director while they're either middle aged or towards the end of their life, and they're going to use this young boy as their um, real life doll or, you know, like their toy to tell this story that they wish could have been true at one point or another. And and that to me is what the male gaze is. It's just telling stories that really fall into, and I don't want to use the term like toxic masculinity, but like this alpha male stigma of like, you were put down at one point, you were then able to show all of the people who ever put you down that you really are something and you can get any girl you want and you're going to have an amazing job and maybe you'll drive a Porsche like they do in um, <laughs> Risky Business or whatever. I don't know. But so many of <laughs> are from, from the male gaze. And, and as a young girl growing up in the 80s and watching these movies, it was really my perspective of like what a relationship was supposed to be like, like how you are and aren't perceived and I I don't know I just I guess I was just a young feminist like I just didn't I could never actually pull it off you know like I wouldn't say that it was because of like how I looked it was more like how I looked at things I just didn't want to be some like side salad that was there for decoration or something like I always wanted to do stuff as well and so even though we were told these stories it wasn't something that became part of my lifestyle, but I can see that these women 
who are portrayed in um, in this film, they were smart about utilizing the male gaze. And that's another thing, too, because you can get villainized for utilizing the male gaze. Like, you can get a lot of flack from females for knowingly utilizing the benefits and infrastructure of power that is received by the male gaze. So Megan Kelly is a perfect right. example. She's an attorney. I mean, she's brilliant. You know, she's smart as a whip. And she's chosen to spend many of her formative professional years working for a man that she has very little respect for, but knows that it, it comes to a means of an end. You know, like it gets her closer to her goal. And there's so many times what women or females who have the power of beauty, because we know that it's a shelf life. I mean, it's just like going into your pantry and taking out canned food that no longer is going to serve you and you just don't want to eat that. We are going to reach a time when the male gaze doesn't want us... We have to redo that. Sorry, I sound so bad (laughs) laughing at you. Referring to women as canned food to eat. It's authentic, though. I mean, it's okay. I just feel like it's authentic, Paul. You know, like, it's the truth, especially when you work in broadcasting. Broadcasting is about selling a message from the first visual perspective. And that's why he had all of those beautiful women, each one of them beautiful, wearing only dresses or skirts. You know, there's a reason why. Glass table. Visually, like, I, right. what, what is it? Yeah, yeah and glass, and glass tables, 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 right. Yeah, and allowing Gretchen to be in this threesome of toxic masculinity where she's always used as, like, the beautiful butt of a joke um, as the person to be that female perspective. But, I mean, how much does she really get to give her perspective? When she took off her makeup, he was losing his marbles because nobody wants to see a middle-aged lady on TV without her face on. Like, you know, and unfortunately, as much as I hate saying that sentence, I believe that a lot of people that I know may feel the same way. Like, I'm into it, but I'm also a more progressive female who likes to see truthful t- stories told that might be uncomfortable or viewed in a way that is not attractive, you know? So, right. I don't know. I just, I just think that that, to me, is so much of what I was taking in while watching this movie. It was interesting that, like, you know, the super uber-religious Kayla is actually, like, bisexual. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that were just interesting that they were telling about this um, culture that had been created in a space that is very much based on what you can get out monetarily and what you can get out with your reputation after you're done. And I just think what Gretchen did was brilliant because she 100% all of the things that he ever said and discredited him with his own truth. And that is what's so funny and ironic because she was completely underestimated. She was just supposed to be a pretty face. But after all those years in broadcasting, she learned a thing or two, kid. And she was able to trace her steps and get her evidence and then use it against her uh, perpetrator. I loved it. Oh, yeah. no, that, I mean, that was brilliant. And... We have to I, not give kudos to Roger Ailes or whatever, or the behavior of the actor. I'm getting kind of tired of this cancel culture where if you like a performance, someone thinks you're condoning it. You can't just say it was oh, like yeah, no, he was a really no. creepy Roger Ailes. You know, like he was, John Lithgow was so amazing as like the upper ladder privileged white male who just had way too much money, way too much power. And when, you, when, when I hear the male gaze talked about, it's interesting to me because 
I completely agree with it wholeheartedly. But then I'm also on the flip side where I'm, and again, this is what I'm trying to understand because I'm, you know, you can speak freely. I'm walking through a landmine on this one. Um, <laughs> is that, you know, is that the flip side of, is that if the dude didn't look like Roger Ailes, like he wouldn't have to do what Roger Ailes does. Like if someone was in his power and hit the gym every day and, you know, looked good, he would just be off dating somebody like, so where does it fall into play that like, you know, if he was just a really good looking guy, then they, the story wouldn't even exist. So like, what does it say about the situation of, you know, them going there be, because he has the TV spot? Like, do you see what I'm trying to say without me putting my foot too much well, in my mouth? I mean, I think that it's, I, I think that they didn't do it as much as they could have, but I think that the role of Bill O'Reilly and where he was in his career at that time at the network was a good sort of segue into exactly what you're referring to. The difference between the two, like, okay, so all these ladies, like, go to this place, they know that they're going to have to deal with this particular person and he's not necessarily a smoke show, you know, like he's not the best thing to look at. He's been married for 1.5 million years. He looks like he's getting ready to, um, you know, maybe end up in a cardiac arrest anytime soon. So he's really not that like that person that you would think of. Like, I don't, I don't even know who I'm thinking of. Like I would say like the Tesla guy, what's that guy's name again? Elon Musk. So right, I would say right. that Elon Musk sort of falls into the category of trying to be like a man about town. He has great wealth, great power. I mean, if you're into science or the direction by which Tesla's uh, energy is being used at this point, it's really exciting and interesting. You know, you might want to like snuggle up to Elon Musk. Um, he's a much better example, kind of like what you're explaining, the difference between the two. But I also think that if this man who is in power was actually, and I say this just from being a person who believes in human behavior that like when we feel good, we do good. Like if he was working out, if he was like in healthy relationships where we, he was getting his needs met, and of course we're taking out of consideration that he's a sociopath, but let's just say he wasn't a sociopath and just completely narcissistic and trying to use women for every drip that they have in their, their soul. Like, I don't think that he would have done those things. Like, I think that that's one of the main reasons why you don't hear stories like this about men who are in power, who are um, not creeps, you know, like if they're good looking or whatever, they're just like kind of living their life and enjoying their life. And if they don't enjoy it, enjoy it, like make the changes that would be necessary to get themselves going in another direction. I, I feel like it's just always ends up being this type of a person because they feel devalued or disempowered by what the world perceives them as. So they love to sort of stick it to people by being like, you need to do this for me in order for me to do this for you. And that in essence, is you asked me earlier, what does a male gaze mean? That's what it means to me. Because it, a lot of the stories sort of boil down to that. Like the male ego has been hurt. And then the male ego goes out in the world, proves the people who hurt him wrong, and then asks them for, you know, like he wants something back from them. You know, like they're going to have to pay up either with recognition, with dollars and cents, with um, cars, if they're doing like a car race and they're getting pink slips. You know what I mean? Like that to me is the male gaze. Right. 
And it's almost a little bit of how men sort of work out their challenges. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are a lot of really amazing, enlightened, mature, non-sociopathic men out there who end up doing great things for the world and the community and employing women, men, and and not treating them like um, pieces of meat. Yeah, so I loved that assessment. Bombshell is such a great film. This kind of gives us a good way to uh, wade into Monster, which I just... I had to stop it a few times because it was just breaking my heart. Uh, Charlize Theron, of course, won the Oscar for this. And it must have won the makeup Oscar. I'm not going to look it up. But uh, she played a real character named Eileen. There's a great documentary named Eileen. It's probably on Prime. Um, That's about the real story. So, again, we're dealing in a real story here where it's not, not a... We're not destroying anything by... If we talk about how it ends out, because most people know this story, but... Kai, I would love to know, again, what made, so the audience knows, what made you choose Monster as something to tie into Bombshell? Well, you know what's so funny is that I didn't realize how off color it was until you were like, well, how does that make sense if the two are together? But um, right. I think the main thing is just exactly how you just explained it. It is a story that is about real events. And um, I think that was the first line for me is that they're both true stories. Um, of course, the the main similarity is that Charlize Theron was in both of them. And I just feel like Charlize is so dynamic as an actress in the way that she's capable of taking like the vanity out of what got her on film to begin with and really telling the story of Eileen from a perspective that is very much like, I feel like the male perspective when it comes to talking about like feminism and feminist things, it it was an uncomfortable, unattractive story. Everything about it. And I don't know if you can agree with this, but like you said, it's hard to watch. You have to stop it a few times to, to think that that is her life is so uncomfortable. It, it almost like I, I have a hard time watching it as well, but I thought it was, um, you know, I know the first time we spoke, I had mentioned that it was almost like a woman empowerment film as well in the sense that she had been, and, and I don't mean that murder is empowerment for women at all. I please, that is not what I mean by that. I just mean that she came to a breaking point where she had been so used and abused by the world and the people in it, whether they were male or female, But she had almost turned herself into like a feral cat, you know, like she looked so um, dismantled and disheveled and the world treated her at that place. Like they met her where she was and how she was presenting, which is the other similarity between Bombshell and Monster. The world was meeting these women where they presented and... um, it could be either in the most beautiful sense or in the most, um, you know, in, in just the sense that we want to look away the whole time and what she went through and how she got to the place. Because I think you hear a story like um, what happened with Eileen and you think like, wow, this person is like the devil in Christ. She's a terrible person. Like, and you can sort of just wash your hands of it. And it goes back to like the, the witch hunt days. Like, oh, well, that's just a witch. That's just a modern day witch. Like the world is better off without her. But then to understand where she came from and like how you had mentioned that situation of like these movies that are not being able to be seen anymore because we're getting so politically correct about what is and isn't art and what is and isn't acceptable art to watch. Like prostitution as 
unpopular as it may be to talk about, is a very, very old way for females to create their own personal economy. And so if you are isolated in, in the world and you're not necessarily employable or you, you don't have the skills to stay and be employed, then a lot of these women end up on drugs and being prostitutes. And her story is not very different in the sense that she figured out how to get money so that she could continue to do the things that she actually wanted to do. And then she got to a place where it was interrupted by an event of somebody like stiffing her. And she just had had enough of being the fly in life. She was going to be the windshield instead of the fly. Like she was going to start hitting things. That's how I feel about that. I like like that. And there's some lines that I didn't uh, pick up on before where passions of starts to evolve out of, you know, trying to empower herself because, you know, she talks about being raped when she was young. And this is probably the only Shirley Theron movie aside from Bombshell because it would feel inappropriate where as a male human mammal, I'm not noticing Shirley Theron, uh, whether it's her eyes or just her presence that has a human, she is beautiful. And, uh, so to me, it's really interesting because like, this is the first time I saw it and of all the times I've seen it, but I was paying particular attention to how much you just don't see Shirley Theron. It reminds me of Heath Ledger in the dark Knight. Like I've always thought that's the best performance by an actor because you never see Heath Ledger, uh, Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix. You can see Joaquin, Jack Nicholson. It's obviously a Jack. So the other night was the first time that I saw this and it's like, it had nothing to do with Charlize and except a couple of times. Cause I know her voice so well, but she, when, when I caught her saying stuff like, Oh, I'm the raped girl. And this is later in the movie, you know, just throw me aside or when she's trying to get to this John and I'm, and I'm not being inappropriate. She says it in the movie when she's like, Oh, this is the good stuff. And it was making me think some of the stuff you had said, because I was just like, she's seen herself as stuff. All she is, is like her quote unquote vagina. And mm-hmm. she has to like now talk that up, not talk up herself or talk up what she is as a human, because, you know, I don't, I mean, we won't spoil how the job interviews go, but, um, so when I heard her say that, and then what you were telling me about, when we were discussing off air, the, you know, the score mentality. So just when she said that, it really kind of like popped a different wire in my brain where I was just like, wow, like they then refer to themselves as stuff. And that's where I was kind of just like really floored and just really couldn't even like it. It put me in a place where it was like hard to even continue watching the movie because I saw these little nuances like, I think it's might of why you've been, why you were struck with it, where it was like, and it was just like bombshell. It was like you were seeing, we all have our preconceived notions about a prostitute, but, you know, they do have a human side. No matter what they're doing, that's illegal, you know, drugs, whatever, like, they still are a person. And so I was loving mm-hmm. because it was showing, like, she still has feelings. As much as everybody that sees her just either ignores her or, you know, forces or unforces her, she just knows she has to have sex. That's what I liked about the movie was that it was giving me something that we don't always, I would say even in a lot of people's own judgment, when they see a streetwalker in, say, Chicago or Los Angeles or 
oh, look at that hooker or look at what she's doing. And, you know, that, but, but it's just kind of like, well, we don't know her story. And like you're saying, mm-hmm. she's down to the point of where she figured out, I mean, there's no reason why it's not the oldest. There's no surprise why it's not the, why it's the oldest profession in the world. Um, so, you know, I was really looking at that just saying like, wow, like we're seeing, we're stepping back from our own judgment that I think we all like to think we're not completely judgmental, but I think occasionally it still comes up. percent. that's what I was. Yeah. And that's what I thought was so good about the film. I thought it was just saying like here for me, I was taking it as like, well, I'm, I'm trying so hard to not be judgmental of anybody. So I want to even work on my own seeing that, uh, what do you call, we've all seen crackhead streetwalkers. And to just see if it'd be like, hey, you know what, lay off, be glad I'm not walking the streets, you mm-hmm. know, in a homosexual area, or, you know, be glad I don't have to go John myself like my own private Idaho, um, oh, and totally. kind of just leave it at that. that. Yeah, it's so true. Thank you for saying that, because I think that one of the things that I like the most about these films, especially as we talk about them together, is that they do bring to light what we as a society, what we as civilization view as, um, you know, good and evil. Like, it's always going to boil down to that for people who tell a story or anything that you've ever taken in that you're really touched by, even like paintings, you know, like the thing about movies is that they use all of the mediums at one time, including dialogue to tell the story. You don't necessarily have to tell the story of bombshell. You don't necessarily have to tell the story of Eileen's life because there are multiple books, uh, autobiographies, biographies, documentaries about them, you know, but I love that people decided that it was important to tell it from that person's perspective because whenever we take anything in with news many times it's coming out of like another person's uh, opinion on it but they tell it from her emotional space of just years and years and a lifetime of trauma and probably never truly understanding her own sexuality and just only understanding the economy behind it and there is a reason why it's called a profession as opposed to like a habit or a thing to do because you are met by of monetary gain and unfortunately just like all these movies that we can't watch anymore or how um, you know prostitution we don't want to talk about that when the light of day is out there's always going to be a buyer, you know, they sell like these things sell to the marketplace. And so the marketplace might be judging all they want, but they seem to be buying it up and picking it up in, in bags, you know, double bags. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. You know, and for me, I was kind of all the stuff that we talked about off air. I even caught myself feeling, I, and I don't know why, because I still stand through this whole storm of PC just saying, like, you know, I'm, I didn't really have a choice in being a biological mammalian creature. So I'll always kind of <laughs> stop at a certain point and just be like, I don't know how to look at Margot Robbie and not notice. Like, I can mm-hmm. appropriately notice Margot Robbie. I cannot say something if I met her or I could not condone what goes on, but I do have a pulse. So it was very interesting <laughs> to see bombshell and, you know, like I, I hate saying it. I've apologized too many times for it. So like this shows the last place I'm going to apologize for it, but it's like, 
So when I was seeing the movie, it was just so weird to just be like, you can't look at Margot Robbie. Like, you can't look at Margot Robbie. Like, you have to, you know, oh, she's taking her skirt off. You can't look. Like, and I just was realizing how, that I was thinking, God, how powerful or crazy these situations must be for women to have to, like, drop their pants by a guy just saying, drop your pants. Like, that's mm-hmm. what it was, and re-watching it, like, I don't know why I didn't notice it the first time, but it, it, like, went beyond the creepy thought, and it was just like, wow, like, the human psyche can sink that low. That's what these two films gave me, it was just, like, almost not entertaining, but almost, like, interesting, because you would never do that. Yeah. Or, so like, interesting that's to watch, like, the nature of yeah. humans. Crazy. Yes. Yes, go that far, um, and Monster even, like, I can't remember what the, I can't remember why she kills the first guy, but um, just in seeing those little, those little things and knowing that it was, like, that's how you could keep your relationship going was that, like, a good day was hooking and robbing someone. And it was just really, mm-hmm. really crazy to just be like, how could that I don't know. Like, I guess you're saying like it's there, but I could never see. I'm not being crass, but like it was so hard to watch because it was just like, I couldn't imagine knowing that like what we have as mammals, you know, wouldn't make two cents if we went out tomorrow trying to use it. You know, and I'm not being crass. I'm just saying like watching the movie has a male. It's just like, there's no concept of what, what the character's doing. There's no understanding yeah. of, and that's what I've really enjoyed seeing these movies and then also reviewing them with you is because I'm totally seeing now when there's, when things get said, like you have absolutely no understanding. It's the first time where I was like, yeah, I don't <laughs> like, not just like I have the understanding as a human of this gaze and this sexuality. And I'm tired of saying, well, my friends don't rape because I shouldn't have to say that, but it's just like, you know, looking at these two films, I was just like, wow, I really like, no one will ever ask me to drop my pants for a job. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that like, as a female, if you're going to work in a corporate infrastructure of, um, you know, a male dominated workforce, I don't necessarily mean to say that you're going to expect that, but like we just, and I think I might've shared this with you before, like, as females, most of us have been subjected to the gaze changing the moment that we started to go through puberty. And it's, it's so unexpected. Like, we're still children. We don't realize what's going on. But the rest of the world is viewing you in a way that's far too mature than what you're prepared for. And since it's unspoken and it is just like you're functioning in the world, uh, you just kind of have to figure it out as you're bumping around through it. And I really liked the kinetic energy of Monster where it felt like you were figuring it out as she was. Like you really felt her level of mental instability and her, um, like she's just living for the moment. At that point, she had given up any hope of what may be down the road. Like, I think you and I live in a world where we think about, like, what our goals are, what this choice would mean for our future. But I like the energy that that movie was filmed and how they captured. She's just going. She's going moment to moment to moment to moment to moment to get what she needed immediately. And it was never to reach, like, some big picture goal. 
wow, that's pretty, uh, wow. I'm floored by that. And I'm thankful that you said to rewatch it. just like Lady Bird. And I don't know why I'm forgetting the other film that you told me to watch. Cause I was just, I was really tuned into, um, I don't, I just, I don't know. I'm gonna, it makes me want to look up what Charlize went through to even get to that point. And she also produced the films. So. I heard an interview with her recently. Um, this is like a couple months ago where she was talking about like, are you aware of her, like her mother, I think murdered her father out of self-defense. Oh, interesting. Did you know that? No, I didn't. And I I think one of the things that kept her from having that be so public, like when she was talking about it, she shared that she's, she's okay with talking about it. It's just for so many years, it was the only narrative. And if she would have spoken about it more freely in the beginning of her career, once again, having to negotiate and choose what you give and what you take and how you're perceived, you know, she can say whatever she wants now. She is a bona fide blockbuster selling actress. She has talent. She has everything, you know. Um, But unfortunately, as females, many times we have to decide when it is appropriate to tell our personal story and really probably is why she got involved in the arts to begin with. Like there was such a stigma to what her mother had to do to protect her and her mother. I guess her father was a very well-known alcoholic. They lived on a South African farm in apartheid South Africa. And um, he had gone on a bender, came home with a gun and was going to was banging on the door to get into the room where her and her mother were. And her mother had to choose to defend her and her daughter. Whoa. Yeah. And that's her true life story. And I feel and, and I think one of the things that she said was shortly thereafter, like right after the funeral, her mother was now running this farm, which she had been running in essence the whole time. But, you know, as a female, we are tied to a male who like, oh, yeah, I'm just here to negotiate the terms of the deal, but I'll sure will take it home to my old man. But he's like asleep because he's passed out drunk. But you're actually the mastermind behind your business. Anywho, um, she sent her daughter to the United States <laughs> to um, model. She'd gotten a modeling contract and she wasn't comfortable with leaving her mother. But her mom was like, no, go out there and get it. This is your opportunity. This is your window. In this business, you have to do it now. And now we are able to talk about her amazing career because her mother was so awesome. Awesome matriarch. So yeah, that's right. Well, that's, that's the unfortunate, that's, no, I mean, that's the unfortunate truth. And as I wrap up, I will quote Jimmy Fallon from almost famous. Unfortunately, the business (laughs) is you have to get what you can while you can, when you can. And that's just sadly what it is. (laughs) And, it gives it's us true. these tragic stories, but also the good ones. So um, I'll wrap it here. It has our first episode with Kai. And um, like I always say, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, make sure and watch a good movie. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast. Real conversation and movie-induced inspiration. 